Welcome to East Texas News Roundup for the week ending September the 13th, 2019. East Texas News Roundup is a weekly review of the news in five Southeast Texas counties covered by Polk County Publishing Company newspapers, including Tyler, Polk, Trinity, San Jacinto, and Houston counties by the editors of those five newspapers. Polk County Publishing Company manager Kelly Bourne kicks off this week's podcast. Hello, this is Kelly Barnes. I'm coming to you from the office of the Polk County Enterprise in Livingston, and I'm looking at a couple of papers. We're looking at Sunday, September the 8th, and Thursday, September 12th, to see what's going on in Polk County. First of all, in one of the papers, you're going to receive your Spry Living, which is a magazine that runs once a month, and there's a feature on Tamron Hall, a new mom at age 48, on her new show and staying balanced. And also, there's a story in here about finding your happy place, so I know many of you out there, subscribers to the paper, enjoy your spry living and don't miss this edition. On Sunday, the 8th, Valerie Riddell, our news director, has a story about the jury returning a not guilty verdict on an assault charge. And there was aggravated assault with a deadly weapon filed against Michael Forrest Clayman, and they returned with a not guilty verdict. So that's a culmination of a story that has already run before, but you can read about his not guilty verdict in the Sunday, September 8th issue of the paper. Polk County is having a public hearing for the county budget, and it will be on Tuesday coming up at 9.30 a.m. at the courthouse. So if you're interested in that budget hearing, be at the courthouse this upcoming Tuesday, which will be the 12th is Thursday, so the following Tuesday, depending on what time you're listening to this podcast. There is a really neat story on the front page of Sunday's paper about the Polk County Memorial Museum, and the headline is One Man, Two Worlds, and a photo exhibit featuring the life of Comanche Chief Juana Parker and his mother, Cynthia Ann Parker, opened Tuesday at the Polk County Memorial Museum. They had a ribbon-cutting ceremony, and it was presented by the Livingston Polk County Chamber of Commerce, and we do appreciate the Chamber of Commerce for all they do to promote businesses in and around Livingston and Polk County area. The exhibit, One Man, Two Worlds, tells the stories of Cynthia Ann Parker a white captive, and her son, Quana, who later became a fierce chief who never lost a battle to the white man. The free exhibit will remain at the museum until October the 28th, and their hours are 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. weekdays. So what a great educational opportunity right here in Polk County. Angelina College on Thursday hosted the Texas Tribune's Rural Texas and the 86th Legislature Forum, and there's a story about it inside Sunday's paper on page 7a, so be sure and get that. Goodrich has adopted their budget and tax rate, and you can see that. And there's a special honor for first responders, members of the Livingston Fire and Police Departments, and this was held on 9-11 at Livingston City Hall. James White visited the Veterans of Foreign Wars post-85-68 in Livingston. We see a lot of them. That's a pretty active group. We have a 60th anniversary. Curtis and Paula Kimbrough celebrated their 30th, and they're pictured in the paper. There's also a giant adoption event planned on September 14th at the SPCA, so be sure if your family's considering a 
a pet that you go out there. There's lots of pets to be adopted. I personally have two in my family from the Livingston SPCA, one at my home and one with my daughter in South Dakota. And we love them very much and are very thankful to the Livingston SPCA and I highly recommend it. Grant funds are available for prescribed burning. This is a story out of College Station. Some Texas landowners may be eligible for funding to help with prescribed burning costs on private lands. Now through September 30th, Texas A&M Forest Service is accepting grant applications to reimburse landowners for the cost of having a prescribed burn conducted on their property by certified and insured prescribed burn managers. To learn more about this, there's more in the story, but I'm going to get right to the point. If you're interested in this, you can go to the texasagriculture.gov website and look there, and there's more detail in the paper about apparently this year there's up to $50,000 available through this Texas Longleaf Conservation Assistance program. Take advantage of that. I love this. A hundred years young, Faye Woods Reed near on Alaska will celebrate her hundredth birthday on Saturday the 14th. She was born on September 14, 1919 in Young County and had one son who was the late Raymond Douglas Crudingen and she has two grandsons, Raymond of on Alaska and Mark of the Woodlands and two great-grandchildren, Jake and Luke, both of the Woodlands. So what a legacy and we appreciate having those in the paper. Anytime you have wedding announcement, birth announcement, important graduation announcement, important anniversary, please contact the Polk County Enterprise and get those in the paper. We love running those in the paper. Don't forget, this is actually the last week that the Best of Polk County ballot will be running in the paper, and everyone has until Friday, September 13th at 5 p.m. to get their ballots in. The ballots will be tabulated during the rest of the month of September and into October. All of the announcements will be made publicly in a special section in the November 3rd issue of the Polk County Enterprise. And when we set this up, it was our first year to do this. We didn't know what kind of response we would have. We just knew that it would be really important to our community to brag on all the businesses and what they do. And so the top three will be recognized and we're so excited about it. And I was looking at the timeline and thinking, there's no way that I'm going to need all that time. I think we've given too much time. Well, if you could see the stack of entries that I have in my office that I personally am going to be putting in the system, it is unbelievable. The response has been fantastic. And it's going to take me hours and hours and hours and hours, nights and weekends to get all of these in the system this first year. And I'm thrilled to do it. So don't miss out. If you're hearing this podcast and you've got some time, get your entries in to the Polk County Enterprise and then be watching November 3rd for the best of Polk County. And then we can all benefit from the signs that we're going to see all around the county telling us who's proud to be in the top three and who actually won best of Polk County. There's lots of winning businesses in Polk County and we're real excited. We've got Brian Besh covering football for Livingston, and he has a quote here from head football coach, we're making physical tackles with multiple people and getting penetration in the front of the line. The speed and agility of the defense front is really special right now. So they did not win. The Bobcats who played the Lions made plays at opportune times to secure the 2014 victory. And the coach said, we lost. We still think we have the better team. But they executed their plan and their style better than what we did. That was what the head coach said they gave us a whip
slipping physically in the first half. Anyway, it goes on. The story is superbly written, thanks to Brian Besh, and we appreciate him covering this for us. But it looks like we've got a good team, the Livingston Lions, this year, and we're excited about that. Now, also, many of you have met before Albert Trevino, and he's covering the Corrigan Bulldogs this year. And Corrigan Camden Bulldogs had another strong second half to run past the Centerville Tigers 27-12 on Friday. So there's lots of pictures, action shots in the paper, And one more story I want to pull just from this Sunday's issue that I'm looking at. The Texas Freshwater Fishing Hall of Fame Committee is seeking nominations for individuals and organizations that have made significant contributions to freshwater fishing in Texas for next year's Hall of Fame. They're taking these through November the 1st. So if you're interested, you can call 903-676-2277 or you can find the form online and Again, this is nominations for Freshwater Fishing Hall of Fame. So thank you for that. Let's get on to Thursday, September 12th issue. Commissioners have approved the county tax rate and budget here in Polk County. There is a burn ban now in place. And the last several days, there's been some weather forecast of like flash flood warnings and rain showers popping up. I know there was one the other day and it was going to affect northern parts of Polk County. And it's kind of unbelievable. And even on our Facebook page, there were some naysayers who thought it was a complete impossibility, but weather patterns are crazy right now, and you can call them fake news if you want. I think people have been teasing weather forecasters for years for not knowing what the weather is going to be, but today it is so accurate in a lot of ways, but when it says there's a percent chance in a northern part of a county, that means some people are going to get some rain, but that's certainly not everybody, but it's good to watch the forecast. We'll try to keep you up to date here at the Polk County Enterprise and our social media if we see anything that we think might be dangerous coming up. And it is a little laughable that we have a burn ban and we have these showers popping up. But as you know, small flash showers do not keep things from being too dry. So it's good to have the burn ban if we need it. And it's also good to have warnings just in case bad weather is going to come. There's a half triathlon coming September 15th. This is a story from Brian Bresch. Um, the seventh annual Onalaska half distance triathlon at Lake Livingston begins its long journey on Sunday, September 15th at 7 a.m. There'll be between 130 and 150 athletes that are expected to compete in the challenge of endurance starting at the KOA campsite located on U.S. Highway 190. The swim's going to be 1.2 miles in open water in Lake Livingston, and there's a bike ride, 56 miles. Goodness gracious, that's going to be a tough day, but I know there's people that are up for it, so um, if you'd like to participate in this exciting event, registration, packets can be picked up for individuals or relay teams, and there are rates for military, retired, and active. If you have any questions, go to trysignup.com. That's easy enough. Try, T-R-I, signup.com and get in on that. Local snapshot. The chamber has been busy. There's been a ton of ribbon cuttings. Polk County is just growing and growing. We have the B&G Family Dentistry, which is a new member of the chamber. They've had a ribbon cutting recently. I know that today there's one at Pit Row Pit Stop. They're finally getting around to their ribbon cutting, and we're excited because um, our new intern, Caleb Fortenberry, is going to be out there along with Jeff Fothery, our news director, Valerie Riddell, and their 
at the ribbon cutting and they're videoing and we're going to be posting that sometime this week before the end of the week and that's something new coming up. There's a Little King Little Queen contest set on September 21st. It's going to be part of the 27th annual San Jacinto County Fair and Rodeo in Cold Spring. The first place winners will receive trophies and the king and queen will receive crowns, trophies, and photographs. So if you're interested in that, call the San Jacinto County Extension Office at 936-628-6407. There's a story in here that many of you will possibly be interested in. Medicare recipients, there's going to be policy changes during open enrollment. And there's a story in here about how to prepare. And if you need to make a change, what can you do? We have a new Mexican restaurant, Steaks Mexican Grill and Bar. It's called Ten de Mayo, and it's located by Matthews Park. So if you love Mexican food, there's even a coupon in the paper. Bring the coupon to receive a half price meal with the purchase of a regular price meal and a drink. So get down there and try them out and get a little savings and a nice lunch. University of Texas was awarded a grant to repair the Marine Institute Laboratory, and the University of Texas has been awarded this federal grant for their Marine Science Institute campus in Port Aransas and will benefit students and the community. The Livingston Lions will be facing the Liberty Panthers on Friday, September 13th at 7 p.m. at home. So everyone be aware there'll be a football game this Friday night at Lion Country Stadium. There's a picture in the paper of the Livingston Lions. And, oh, look, Big Sandy Independent School District is back with their Wildcat News. It's a full page of information talking about everything going on on campus. Let's see, Christina Johnson places in the top 10 varsity runners on Saturday, September 7th. And Big Sandy school year is back in full swing, it says. Edwin Renfro was nominated by the high school students and selected by high school teachers to be Big Sandy High School Student of the Month for August. Edwin is a senior and the 17-year-old son of Michelle and Arthur Renfro. There's much more news on Big Sandy, and you can get that in the Thursday paper. There's stats in the paper. Look, there's standings here that Brian is giving us, and there's also the Lions schedule listed right here in the paper. Albert also has the Wildcats versus the Bulldogs Friday night at the Bulldog Stadium, so two home games, and you can be sure in Sunday's paper you're going to be able to hear about all the action. If you're not able to make it to the game or if you are at the game and you want to hear the blow-by-blow from these excellent sports writers, you can subscribe to the paper and get the e-edition first thing Saturday morning, which is pretty amazing. When they, they finish up late on Friday night, they have to go write their stories, get them turned in, and you've got it basically on the newsstands and in your email if you like to look at the e-edition right after the game on Saturday morning. So if you haven't signed up for the e-edition or you live here right in Livingston and you want to get your paper on Saturday morning, give us a call. You can also go to the newsstands and buy them. They're 75 cents on the stands, and that's a bargain. Thank you so much for listening. Howdy, everybody. Chris Edwards here coming at you, bringing you some of the news from down Tyler County way for this week, taken from the pages of the Tyler County Booster. I hope everybody's had a great week thus far here in the second full week of September in 2019, and I hope you're enjoying the slightly cooler temperatures in the morning and later in the evening, uh, little breezes coming through here and there. I know it's certainly nice to sit out on the back porch and enjoy that breeze when it does come through in the evening, and even though the days are getting getting shorter. That's one thing that always kind of depresses me is 
you go from the endless days of summer to getting dark by about six o'clock or so. I mean, it's not quite that bad yet, but it give it time, you know, of course when daylight savings time ends and everything. But you start to notice it wind down around late August or so. And anyways, our top story this week in the Tyler County Boosters front page had to do with uh, the county commissioner's court. Now, for the first time, as of Monday morning's regular meeting, there is now a portion of the meeting designated for public comment. Now, this is a really great thing. It's a great part of our experiment in representative democracy and, and allows the people to participate in the government. Most meetings do have this, and now the Tyler County Commissioner's Court does. And Judge Blanchett spoke about this a little bit before the meeting really got kicked into high gear with the regular agenda items. The public forum comment portion is going to occur before the consent agenda and before the action discussion items at the beginning of, of every regular meeting. And they adopted a protocol for members of the public to observe when participating in this. And basically, it goes something like this. Anybody who wishes to speak before the court on a matter, they can fill out a form and it'll be available right before the meeting from the county clerk. Or you can also pick up one from Judge Blanchett's office and they're also available on the Tyler County website. And the comments are limited to a maximum of five minutes per participant or 30 minutes total on a singular topic if there's more than one speaker speaking to that topic. And so that's a great thing. So hooray for the Tyler County Commissioner's Court for opening up a section for public comment. Um, also at the Commissioner's Court meeting on Monday, the topic of the old Doucette Union Church came up. Commissioner Mike Marshall, who is over Precinct 3 and that Doucette is part of that precinct, spoke about this issue. Commissioner Marshall had gotten some comments and concerns from some of his constituents about this particular structure. Now, the old Union Church is located in Doucette off of County Road. I think it's 3050. It's just about a block past the post office there, and it's been registered with the Historical Commission. There's a marker in front of it and everything, but it's been in severe disrepair for many, many years. I know as long as I've probably been here, and there's not been any church services held there, any kind of events, and probably about as long, if not longer. And some of the residents are concerned because, you know, kids like to hole up in structures like this and play games and stuff and hide and seek and whatever, and so there's concern about the safety of anybody who might happen to venture in this structure. And of course, you might have people without somewhere else to stay who might be you know, spending the night in there, old abandoned structures like that. So Commissioner Marshall put this before the court and asked the permission to go ahead and move forward to seek some legal advice on this particular matter. And also he suggested it would be a good idea to maybe hold a town hall meeting for residents of Doucette to get together and kick some ideas around about this. So stay tuned for things about this church because I know everybody, if you've been in Tyler County, you know about this church and there's still people around who probably attended church there and, and some of them have expressed concern about it as well. And I remember a similar situation in Nacogdoches years ago. The old AME Zion Church downtown near the cemetery was in a similar situation and I remember when I moved down there it was beyond repair or seemed to be. And over a period of about 20 years through some intense fundraising drives and, and events they were able to 
not only get the church recognized with a historical marker, but they were able to restore it to a state to where it's it's now um, structurally sound and safe. And they continue to work on it. Hopefully good things will come of this. Hopefully people can put their hearts together and uh, you know some things will happen with it because it is a really neat old church. In other news, county going zone, the uh, county veterans office is seeking a veterans service officer. I know uh, Ellen Craig was the veterans service officer for many years, and she stepped down uh, recently. And this week in the booster, Kay Timmy, who serves on several committees in the in the county and is over the uh, search for this particular person, wrote us a story outlining what all they were looking for in their veteran service officer. And some of the details of what a veteran service officer does, they're, they're kind of an ombudsman of sorts to our veterans in the county. They help veterans. They meet with veterans. They help them fill out paperwork to get on with the VA or those kinds of things and also can transport them in the van to VA appointments and things like that. And also they meet with them in their homes as well. They make house calls. And I didn't realize that until Monday morning's commissioner court meeting when this came up. But recent legislation determined that one doesn't have to be a veteran in order to be a veteran service officer. However, preferential treatment is given to those who have served. So if you get a chance to check out this week's edition of the Tyler County Booster, uh, check out that article. And if that's something that you might be interested in doing and meet the qualifications, then we could use you in that position here in Tyler County because there are somewhere in the neighborhood of 1,600 veterans living here in Tyler County. It's about that time of year where all of the cities and school districts are drafting their budgets and so forth and about to adopt the budgets and new tax rates. And the city of Woodville, it met Monday night, and they have scheduled a special meeting for a budget workshop, a public hearing, and special meeting on Monday, September 23rd, to discuss, consider, and adopt the tax rate and the budget for the coming fiscal year. The new budget, it'll have to be approved by September 30th, because the next fiscal year, which will be fiscal year 2019 to 2020, it'll begin on October the 1st. Currently, the tax rate for Woodville residents is 0.3865 cents for every $100 of taxable property. The new tax rate that they're hoping to adopt or proposed is 0.375 cents for every $100. And so that's a drop in taxes. And Mandy Reisinger, who serves as a city administrator, has for a long time said that the city is, has always tried to maintain a pretty stable tax rate for its last 30 years. So kudos on the sound financial management of the city of Woodville for being able to do that. So anyways, um, if you're interested in attending this, the workshop, which is scheduled for Monday, the September the 23rd, it'll begin at 5.15 p.m. and it'll last for about 30 minutes. And then it'll be followed by the public hearing on the tax rate. And then right after that, the meeting will be called to order where the tax rate and the proposed city budget will be considered and then put up for a vote. So if you have an interest in attending that and making your voice heard, that's Monday, September the 23rd, beginning at 5.15 p.m. in the Woodville City Hall. So here's something that happened today, but we'll report on in next week's edition of The Booster. This is something very noteworthy. In recent weeks, we've kept you apprised of the arrest of Daniel Andrew McGinnis, who was arrested. Allegedly, he murdered Patricia Ann Jacobs 30 years ago in 1988, a Hardin County woman. Well, today, McGinnis was handed down a life sentence in Judge Delinda Gibbs Walker's court. Now, he was given this life sentence for two charges that were unrelated to the murder allegations. So stay tuned to The Booster for more detailed news on that 
um, particular trial outcome and any subsequent information about McGinnis. Something else that uh, recent news that happened in our county that I thought was kind of cool was that Tyler County Hospital got their redesignation for being a state-level four trauma operation with their ER, which they've held since 2004 when the new ER was open, and they got perfect marks on that, on their redesignation. So kudos to Tyler County Hospital. One more thing is... uh, Every week, you know, we run a list on usually on the back page of, of our A section, our community calendar, as well as a series of ongoing events of different kind of meetings and things that are going on, that all kinds of special interest groups and things like that. This week, you know, we've got September 21st coming up. There's a Forest Landowners Seminar. And on September 26th, there's the fifth annual Hay Show for uh, that's done through the County 4-H. And it'll take place there at the Nutrition Center. Our community calendar is looking kind of thin this week. But uh, it's open to anybody hosting events or any kind of events that you might have going on. So drop us a line. Give us a call at 409-283-2516 or hit us up via email at news at tylercountybooster.com. And if you if you got an event to promote, let us know so that we can help you promote it through the community calendar. So anyhow, that's about it for things that I can think of, the kind of synopsis of a few things from this week's edition of The Booster. If you're in Tyler County, go ahead and pick you one up wherever fine publications are sold for 75 cents or you can stop by our wonderful office here located at 205 west bluff street in beautiful downtown woodville and pick one up straight from the source one more thing before i get off of here we have a, a new addition to our team here in tyler county booster hq well actually he's kind of learning the ropes of different things all over the entire polk county publishing family so he'll be in our office one day day or a few days and then a different one the next day. But Caleb Fortenberry, who comes to us from the United States Air Force, he's here on an internship program through the Air Force and he has training in mass communications. So you might have seen, if you check out our Facebook page, I did an interview with him to kind of let the people get to know him a little bit better and, and you know some of what he has to offer. And Caleb's a great talent. He's got a lot of interest in, in different things like big into pop culture and, and media studies and things like that, but also knows his way around a camera, both with uh, video captures as well as uh, still photography, and is also really keen with the pen. I gave him a story assignment, so you'll be seeing his name on a byline here next week, and hopefully more of that to come, but he's going to be learning some skills from some of us, especially from Jim Powers, and doing some things with video, and so if you happen to see Caleb out and about, say howdy, and hopefully uh, Caleb will be uh, bringing a lot to the table. I I think he is. He's a really talented guy and really eager to learn, thank you all for listening to the East Texas News Roundup. My name is Chris Edwards, and you guys have a wonderful, fantastic, safe, fun, superlative weekend. Check y'all later. Hello, East Texas. This is Tony Browning, the managing editor of the Houston County Courier, and it's a beautiful day in the city of Crockett. We were blessed with a little rain this week, and now all the plants are green and happy. The Courier is gearing up to host a booth at the East Texas Farm, Ranch, and Wildlife Expo at the Crockett Civic Center being held this Friday, September 13th. The expo is sponsored by the Crockett Area Chamber of Commerce. This event will feature booths from local and non-local vendors displaying items related to ranching, wildlife management, and hunting. Also, the Texas A&M AgriLife Extension Service in Crockett will have seminars throughout the day. Some samples of the seminars are wild pig management, nuisance animal trapping, beef cattle feeding, pond management, and much more. We hope to see you there. 
In the September 12 newspaper, we have a very informative article by Master Gardener Jolene Renfro. Jolene is a member of the Crockett Garden Club and writes about the purpose of the club, continuing education, promoting conservation, and landscaping local government sites are just some of the goals of the club. If you're interested in learning more about the group, attend a meeting at 9.30 a.m. on the first Thursday of each month in the Life Center of the United Methodist Church in Crockett. Life tributes listed in the September 12th paper are Georgia Schulte, Irene Ball, Miriam Manninger, and Herman Vest. The life tributes are not available to view on our website unless you have an online subscription. Please give us a call if you're interested in an online subscription. The cost is just $30 a year. One more event you might be interested in this weekend is the Amazing Race, brought to you by the Crockett Evening Lions Club. The race is a scavenger hunt across Houston County. Each team must decipher a clue in order to move to the next site. At each site, the team may choose a physical or mental challenge in order to receive the clue to the next site. There are five sites in all. The fun begins at 8 a.m. in the Davy Crockett Park. There is an entry fee of $100 for each team of two to four persons, and there must be an adult driver present. Did you know that there are about 100 days left till Christmas? It's almost here. Is your church planning an event during the Thanksgiving or the Christmas holidays? If so, the courier wants to know about it. You can email information to me at manager at hccourier.com or call me at 936-544-2238. We would like to list your events in the courier so that the community may attend as the holidays are a time to celebrate and come together. And now, here is the Courier's news reporter, Alton Porter, with the headline news. Thank you, Tony, and hello everyone in East Texas. Our lead story in this week's Houston County Courier is about the efforts of the members of the Houston County Hospital District Board of Directors to finalize the district's property tax rate and budget for the upcoming fiscal year, which begins October 1st. We gave you a heads up on these matters on last week's podcast. Tuesday evening, earlier this week, as the courier was going to press, the Hospital District Board of Directors members took action on one of those matters, the ad valorem tax rate. At a meeting, they voted 5-4 to four to set the rate for 2019-2020 at 14.9405 cents per $100 of assessed property valuation. That's the same rate that the district got levied this current fiscal year. The rate is projected to generate $1.7 million in revenue for the district next fiscal year. That's more than half of the total income the district outside accountant Dick Merkison is projecting in the district's proposed budget for next fiscal year. The board members are planning to adopt the fiscal year 2019-2020 budget, which projects $3,354,228 in total income and $3,362,683 in total expenses at a regular meeting next Tuesday evening, September 17th. Among other items addressed at the board meeting earlier this week, the directors heard and unanimously approved an audit report presented by a certified public accountant from their outside audit firm. We'll have more about these and other matters the hospital district directors addressed at Tuesday's meeting in next week's Thursday, September the 19th issue of the Courier. As I'm sure you already know by now, it's budget adoption and property tax rate setting time for most of our area governmental entities as the upcoming fiscal year kicks off October 1st. And another one, Houston County, which is represented by the Commissioner's Court, had both its fiscal year 2019-2020 budget adopted and its fiscal year 2019-2020 property tax rate set at the Commissioner's Court meeting earlier during the day Tuesday. County Auditor Melissa Jeter said the budget is balanced 
projecting 15.9 million in both total revenue and total expenditures. The commissioners unanimously voted to set the county's tax rate for the upcoming fiscal year at 54 cents per $100 of assessed property valuation. That's the same rate this district levied this current fiscal year. In addition, after reviewing the current drought and fire danger situation in the county, the commissioners unanimously voted to continue the burn ban they initiated at an August 27th meeting. They unanimously voted to appoint County Resident John McMillan as Houston County Veteran Service Officer. McMillan replaces Fred Nunes, who recently retired. In addition, the commissioners voted to adopt a proclamation to support the Alabama Cushata Tribe of Texas in the tribe's efforts to have passed the U.S. House Resolution 759 to clarify that the tribe can enjoy the opportunity and tribal economic development on terms that are equal and fair and to protect jobs. More on this week's Commissioner's Court meeting is in the paper. In another front page story, we report on what was dubbed a Boots and Bling fundraiser for Kalen Center that took place last Saturday night, September 7th, in the Crockett Civic Center. The event raised almost $50,000 for Kalen's, a child advocacy center serving Houston and Trinity counties. The funds will be used by Kalen's executives and staff members to help fund counseling and therapy for child victims of sexual assault and other forms of abuse. In addition to raising funds, the annual Boots and Bling event helps educate the public on exactly what Kalen's does, says Angela Cross, the center's executive director. Delivering the keynote speech at this year's event was Jenna Quinn of the Dallas area, who is a triumphant teen sexual abuse survivor. Queen is the author of the book, Pure in Heart, a memoir of overcoming abuse and passing Jenna's Law. Named after Jenna, Jenna's Law is the first child sexual abuse prevention and education law named after a survivor that passed in the United States. The Texas law, enacted in 2009, mandates that teachers, parents, students, and others be made aware of the signs of child sexual abuse. Now on the sports front, Courier Sports Editor Larry Dam reports on page 1B that in the second week of high school football season, the Crockett High School Bulldogs varsity team was unsuccessful in its at-home effort to defeat the Garrison Bulldogs in a close back-and-forth battle that went down to the wire. Crockett Bulldogs ended up with 32 points to the Garrison Bulldogs dogs 38 points. On a side note, Crockett Middle School basketball teams will be shooting up in new uniforms this upcoming basketball season, thanks to funding from Justin J.J. Watt Foundation in the amount of $4,494. The funding will provide uniforms for 7th and 8th grade boys and girls basketball teams. Crockett High School boys basketball coach Cadron Bryant applied for the funding in August and was notified of its approval last week. Now, on the Grapeland Sandys, who moved up to number two in the Texas football poll for Class 2A Division II. They were successful in the game in which they tamed the Cayuga Wildcats. The final score was Grapeland 38, Cayuga 14. Crockett and Grapeland will meet in a showdown in an intra-county rivalry in Grapeland this Friday, September 13th. As for the Lovelady Lions footballers, they ran into a buzzsaw in a game against the number nine state-ranked Tenerhawk Tigers in Tenerhawk. Tenerhawk shut Lovelady out, scoring 47 points to Lovelady zero. The Lovelady Lions will face the Norman G. Panthers in Norman G. Friday night this week. And that's it for now. We'll see you all next week. 
Hey folks, welcome to East Texas News Roundup. This is Valerie Riddell bringing you the news for San Jacinto and Polk Counties. And I have a guest slash intern today. Yep. Caleb Fortenberry is here and he is uh, working with all our five of our newspapers and magazines and digital products. So tell us why you're here, Caleb. Well, I started a program in the Air Force. So I'm active duty Air Force currently. I started a program called Career Step Program. And basically it allows anybody in the DOD to go do an internship or apprenticeship for the last six months of their enlistment. Mm-hmm. If you're planning on separating. And I happened to hear about it my last year. And so I knew I didn't want to stick around with law enforcement as much. So I called around, tried to find some places and uh, Polk County Publishing picked up and they were like, yep, we absolutely want you to come on. So yeah. that's how I ended up here. So Well, great. Because we've looked at your portfolio and you are a longtime resident of our neck of the woods mm-hmm. over in Tyler County. So you graduated from homeschool over in Woodville. Woodville. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So you're familiar with all of the East Texas operations and we'll be sending you all over our five county area. Right. For the most part. I was a military brat, so I didn't end up in Woodville until, I don't know, around the fifth grade. And so I didn't spend my entire life around here, but majority of it. So. Right. But you and the lovely Mrs. Fortenberry just mm-hmm. didn't draw uh, throw a dart at a map. <laughs> no. And we're recording this on 9-11. So thank right. you for your service. Yeah. I know that's not Veterans Day. We've talked off the air. I was a military wife. So tell us about your wife, too, I guess. Or do you want to be that personal? <laughs> because wives have a mission too. Yeah. Yeah. She doesn't like me talking about her on social media type <laughs> stuff because I usually say something that's either she says it's not true or <laughs> or it embarrasses her. So, Well, I know a little bit about what it's like to have a spouse deployed and mm-hmm. you're expecting a baby and things like that. So oh, thank yeah. her from another former military mom. Mm-hmm. But, uh, Our first son had just been, I guess I'm trying to remember how old he was. I think he might have been a year old, r- around a year old when I deployed and you know I got to see him walk before I left but that was yeah yeah it's rough but you know that's what family's for and you know right. military family they do check up on you so yeah we went through it okay but it's been a rough road you know her being at home watching the kids and just trying to make it by until we could get out be right. around family that could help us out so right well, we just came from the 9-11 observance here in Livingston with our firefighters and EMS mm-hmm. and police personnel. So that always triggers me a bit because when one of my breaks that I was taking and not being in journalism, I did work for the 9-11 EMS service here in Livingston. So mm-hmm. that triggers a lot of memories. My uh, The children of some of my partners were at the ceremony. So that always kind of... That's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. That Brandon Prescott is a firefighter now, and his dad, L.A., was a phenomenal EMS person in a day when we were just making the conversion out of, if you needed an ambulance, the funeral home came and got you to a today's modern 911. We can do everything in the back of the ambulance. So L.A. was a tremendous guy. and. Hmm. Corky Cochran and I were, along with uh, Ricky Taylor that we mentioned a lot of times on our East Texas News Roundup, that those are the guys that led us through that transition and a dark day of trying to keep a paid 911 service going. Yeah. Yeah. It was a, it was a good little service. I don't know if you saw the, uh, the VFW out there. I, I actually really enjoyed seeing those guys out there and paying their respects and everything. Yeah. I actually, I'm thinking about joining them whenever I get. Yeah. 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 Well, it's it's a great group because it's, you know, it is a brotherhood and mm-hmm. and nobody knows what our military personnel have been through through that. And your uncle Chuck mm-hmm. made the ultimate sacrifice for us in the war on terror. Yes, ma'am. Tell us about Chuck Fortenberry. 
Well, I can't tell you too much about him. He's, uh, <laughs> you you were young. Yeah, yeah. So he uh, he passed in 2004, April 11th. It was Easter Sunday. He was a few days away from his 39th birthday and a year away from retiring. But he went down and flew to Iraq. Yeah, he saved a. Uh, he saved a whole squad, didn't he? Yeah, or a, whole, th- a whole convoy. I think it was a convoy. I'm not not entirely sure, but I'm pretty sure it was a convoy. And yeah, I've got to talk to some of those guys, some of the Marines that he saved, and they're very appreciative. I think one guy even he wrote a book and had him mentioned in there that he mm-hmm. saved him and stuff. It's pretty neat stuff. But yeah, yeah, he's he inspired me to join the military, and so did my father and, mm-hmm. and my grandfather and my uncle, other uncle. But mm-hmm. he definitely did had an impact. So. But I just think that is when you think about somebody literally giving themselves to Mm -hmm. save their brothers on the ground. I mean, your uncle and his co-pilot were in an Apache Mm -hmm. helicopter and the ground troops were under attack and they literally came and just swept in, took care of business. Yeah. Yeah. And so that's a wonderful story about Mm -hmm. service above self. So, you know, this day always gets me. Mm -hmm. It hurts my heart every year when this anniversary comes around. I was back in journalism. I was working for a daily newspaper in Lake Jackson. Mm-hmm. I was a block from the big petrochemical complex down there south of Houston. Mm. And so I lived right outside the gates of the nuclear power plant and drove over to the chemical plants to put together a newspaper. We remade that newspaper, I think, like eight times that day because The business community. I had been through family readiness. One other person that I worked with was a Navy veteran. And you hear what is coming across the AP wire and you're watching it on TV. But you also know what the military is going through at that moment. The Pentagon had been attacked. I told you the story off the off the air. My kid's dad had just returned from the Pentagon on September the 9th, two days. So when we were not married at that time. So I wasn't clear if he was in Texas or at the Pentagon when that happened. Yeah. And it was a very confusing day for a lot of military members. From my understanding, there's, you know, I know a lot of guys that were in when that happened. And they, you know, they all have interesting stories to tell about it. But most of them were very low ranking at the time, you mm-hmm. know. So they got to see all the chaos and everything. But when it happened for me, I was seven years old. And a lot of people talk about watching it at school, but I don't remember seeing it at school. I remember seeing it on the news. It felt like it was after school. Day's kind of a blur. And then I remember later that night, you know, Bush got on the news and he gave a speech. And that's what I remember about it from that day. And then just days after that, you know, I mean, it did have an impact. And you know what's weird is that like my generation is going to be the last one to remember that. You know, because right. yeah. everybody that's like, you could be like three years younger than me and you don't remember it happening. Right. And that's kind of where my generation was when President Kennedy was assassinated. I mean, I was alive. I was six months old. Yeah. I grew up in the anniversary and people telling their stories about what they went through that day and right. how traumatic it was. And that hangs in the air throughout your childhood in late November. But because I think for Americans and anyone who has a tie with first responders or with the military, it is a really heavy anniversary. And it's like, even though we've made it through it. It seems like it could not have happened. Right. Yeah. I was watching some of the footage on Facebook today. Somebody made like a collage of videos, you know, mm-hmm. and it was like, it, it doesn't seem real. It seems like what we see now in all these catastrophic movies and stuff, you know, right. it looked, man, it's very similar to things like that, but it almost doesn't feel like it really happened, you know, and especially in that moment, I'm sure a lot of people felt that way. And the fact remains that it did. And it's yes, unfortunate. It did. 
and I've had the privilege of helping a lot of people tell their stories. The pilot with Continental Airlines, who was the last person to land when the FAA put in the full stop, and just amazing people and pilots and flight crews that lost everyone they knew that day. Yeah. And it's just traumatic. And then now, as we are 18 years later, the one thing that will trigger me in a heartbeat as someone who's, you know, come out and not the first responders and into journalism is to see it politicized and to see elected officials play games with our folks who were at ground zero. That's when I even talked with our manager about, can I even say that? Is that too opinionated? But I think we're all Americans. We all love the flag. We, you know, right or wrong. And I see nearly all of them doing it in Congress. And this last time around when we were trying to reapprove the benefits for those people who spent weeks on the pile right. and have are battling cancer and we play around with their benefits. They're dying for one reason many years later. And we play games about whether the taxpayers are going to pay for it or not. Well, I don't think there's one taxpayer who questions whether they yeah. want part of their money right. to pay for the cancer bill for the New York City police officer who's dying. Yeah. Yeah, you know, sad. why are we even debating that question? I don't know. <laughs> it's like, are we going to pay the military? Well, we <laughs> are going to pay the military. And if you're going to politicize that moment, you need to be somewhere else in the, working in the Capitol. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, let's go back to local stuff. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> It was a busy weekend, San Jacinto. First responders there had a major thing on last Friday. There was a big three-vehicle crash on US-59, and they a young woman was northbound out of Conroe, and she lost control of her vehicle, crossed the median, and hit a guy driving a pickup. He had his family in a separate vehicle behind him, hit both of those, and that family is recovering from their injuries. The young lady who came across the median was killed. And it closed 59 for six hours while they cleared debris and did the initial investigation. So that was a traumatic thing. We have that story in the Thursday edition of the San Jacinto News Times. Ms. Cantrell, the, one of the women who was involved in the crash, she has shared her story on Facebook, her husband, how he's coming through the injuries and all that. So if you're interested, you can look her up through our Facebook page. Getting ready for the San Jacinto County Fair. That's when you're going to get introduced to oh, Cole yeah. Spring and Shepherd because you're going to help our great photographer, Charles Ballard, kind of get capture all those events. The mutton busting. Yeah. <laughs> or what are your kids old enough to mutton bust yet? I don't know. What's the age limit? Oh, now you're asking me hard questions. See, I don't know either. He's well, four, so, yeah. I mean, I would say yeah, but there's yeah. no telling. He probably wouldn't do it. He's scared of animals. He's a, you know. it, Well, it's something you come out of. Yeah, my, uh, I hope so. <laughs> my two grandsons are about to be two and three, and it's very hit and miss on whether they're going to cooperate. Some days it's like, I want to go see the cows. And so, you know, one of them, we, he tried on his Batman costume for Halloween and decided that he scared himself. So... <laughs> Well, you know, now that you mention it, my father-in-law has a goat and <laughs> my son, well, if he gets like cornered by this goat, he will scream loud as he can. Like he's deathly afraid of that thing. So mutton busting probably wouldn't be the best option for Goats him to are do, scary. But, uh, not really. <laughs> Button our heads into everything. Maybe if they're the same size as you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Then they're more of a menace. Right. But lots of stuff happening down there. Shepherd beat Cold Spring in football. Which was a big thing because Shepard came across, you know, it's a cross-county rivalry. Shepard had a bit of a vengeance because Livingston had just broke their over a thousand day losing streak with Shepard. Mm -hmm. So Cold Spring is generally a powerhouse. It will be interesting to see. So follow Charles on Facebook and in the 
Citizen News Times debating if they're going to release the tapes. Our Texas Speaker of the House, Dennis Bonin, has a hit list of representatives, including Ernest Bales that represents Shepard. So we're still working to see how that's coming out. Shepard is appealing their accountability rating and kind of stave off an effort for the state to come in and appoint a board of governors that will supersede what the elected board decides. All right, so I guess that wraps us up for Cold Spring in Shepard and San Jacinto County. This week in Trinity County, our top story features a pair of arrests that were made of suspects who were initially on the run but were caught up to moments later. The Trinity Police Department and Trinity County Sheriff's Department collaborated on both of these arrests, which took place on September 2nd and September 3rd, respectively. During the evening hours of September 2nd, Trinity Police Department was called to an alleged assault on North Maple Street. When they arrived, the suspect Lewis Taylor Jr. ran from law enforcement after he was instructed to turn around and put his hands behind his back. Although he stopped moments later, a dog, which was believed to be owned by Taylor, bit the officer in pursuit on the leg. Sheriff's deputies arrived moments later to assist with the arrest and to check on the condition of the officer, who had small bruises from the bite, but no broken skin. Taylor was taken into custody, and while he was in custody, or while he was being transferred into the jail cell, he tried to escape once again and even tried to unholster the taser from one of the arresting officers. Taylor was eventually put into his jail cell and he received charges of resisting arrest, assault of a peace officer, and attempting to take a weapon from an officer. Hours later, during the early morning hours of September 3rd, the Trinity Police Department responded to a burglary getaway. The burglary suspects drove off from the home and were being chased out by the homeowner, and when the TPD caught up to the vehicle, a chase that ranged from 50 miles an hour to 80 miles an hour down FM 356 took place. The Sheriff's Department eventually joined in on the chase, and they eventually caught the suspect. 29-year-old Jeremy Ashton Smith, but not before Smith crashed into a sheriff's vehicle and a TPD vehicle. Smith was charged with two counts of aggravated assault on a public servant, one count of burglary of a habitation, one count of evading arrest of the vehicle, one count of theft of a firearm, one count of lawful possession of a firearm by a felon, and driving while his license was invalid. After he was arrested, the truck in which Smith drove was searched. Three televisions, a PlayStation 4 gaming set that included a controller and a headset, an iPhone, and an AR-15 were found in the vehicle. And they are being kept for evidence at the moment. The Groveton Indians were recognized by Dave Campbell's Texas Football as the Class 2A Team of the Week for Week 1. In the Indian season opener, they defeated longtime rival Lovelady 53-26. According to head coach Richard Steubing, this is the second time in four years that the Indians have received such an award. They received the award once in 2016, which was Steubing's first year with the Indians. Steubing is in his second year as head coach, and his first two years, which were 2016 and 2017, he served as the Indians' defensive coordinator. And each week, Dave Campbell's Texas football honors a team from each of the classifications, 6A, 5A, 4A, 3A, 2A, and 1A, with Team of the Week honors. And all four school districts had meetings. Trinity ISD adopted a lower tax rate, 
The previous tax rate was $1.17 per $100 valuation. It is now $1.06 per $100 valuation. Centerville ISD had a similar tax rate. Theirs lowered from $1.17 per $100 valuation to $1.06. Centerville ISD also talked about its star test scores. The district received an 87, and Superintendent Mark Brown talked about the success of the district. Um, Centerville was one of three school districts to receive a B. Groveton received the highest district in Trinity, the highest score in Trinity County, 89, and Apple Springs received an 88. And Groveton ISD also adopted its tax rate. Theirs is 97 cents per $100 valuation, and their budget is 8.6 million. Trinity ISD also adopted its budget. Its budget is 13.6 million. And Apple Springs ISD approved budget amendments from the previous school year. And some of these amendments had to do with extracurricular activities, such as a pair of athletes qualifying for the state track and field meet and one-act play qualifying for by-district and area one-act play meets. And business manager Chase Nielsen believes that student success is a good expense to have. And we also have photos and the story on the cross-county matchup between the Groveton and Trinity football teams. The Groveton Indians hosted the affair and came away victorious with a 56 14 victory over the Trinity Tigers. More on that can be read in this week's edition. Mm-hmm.